We all know by now that a diet rich in organic fruits and vegetables and unprocessed whole foods is the foundation for overall health and well-being. Is this even more true for children, as their bodies and brains are still developing? We'll find out today. Nutrition for children, starting them off right. That's our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. A study a couple of years back showed 232 toxins in the umbilical cord of unborn children. This means that even before these children were born, they were already exposed to hundreds of chemicals and heavy metals, a toxic burden that could compromise the children's health and development. And from there, our young ones, just as we are, are exposed to toxins in our food and environment as they grow older. Just how important is a healthy diet in balancing this exposure to toxins? And what does a healthy children-specific diet look like? Today we are talking with a doctor, a former internist, who made diet and lifestyle his focus in his work with patients. He's also the co-author of a new book, Forks Over Knives Family, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food, Plant-Based Diet. Nutrition for Children, Starting Them Off Right. That's our focus. I'm Helga Helberg. That and so much more when we come back in just a moment. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. This show is made possible because of the amazing support of our underwriters. Thank you to Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. 
and Frei Vineyards, America's first organic winery. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines from Mendocino County at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. This is an organic conversation, and our focus in this hour is nutrition. In this case, nutrition for children, starting them off right. And on the phone with me now is Dr. Matthew Liederman, the co-author of Forks Over Knives Family, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food Plant-Based Diet, who's an expert on the field of children and optimal nutrition. That's forksoverknives.com forward slash F-O-K family. Matt, do we have you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're busy because this is really a topic that appeals and applies to so many families. And um, the success of Forks Over Knives, we had talked about um, that series and how that came about previously in the show. Now there's Forks Over Knives Family. But I want to start with you as an expert in the field. You were working as an internist in a hospital and then switched to holistic health, lifestyle, and particularly nutrition. What made you being interested in this area? What were you, what were you seeing or what were you not seeing? What were you missing working as a regular doctor in a hospital? Yes. So when I, when I worked as a physician in a regular hospital, we, we were great at treating uh, acute issues, people with pneumonias, infections, broken bones. But when we had patients with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, we really really weren't making an impact. And uh, that was very frustrating. And the patients were getting frustrated. I was telling them to take more medications because that's what I was trained with. And they were taking them sometimes. Sometimes they weren't. Either way, they weren't feeling better. And we were we were fighting almost. We, we, weren't, we weren't, you know, I was telling them to do something. They were not doing it. I was getting frustrated. They got frustrated and we weren't really connecting. We weren't there was some dissonance there. And I stumbled across books that, that led me to this other, other way of looking at health and particularly treating chronic disease. Um, that's how I changed it for myself at first. I, I had some uh, not, not terribly uh, debilitating medical issues, but enough to be noticeable. And I remember testing it out on myself. This, uh, I ate rice and beans for about a week just to see uh, what would happen And because um, I wasn't a cook. I was basically eating out and, and doing the, the basic conventional American diet. Sure. And uh, once I made the, the the change in myself, I I felt fantastic. And I was surprised because I was just I was eating very basic dishes because I didn't know how to make anything else. And I you know stomach issues started feeling better. Some you know occasional heartburn went away. Uh, I had more energy, and I was actually quite surprised. And then I. Um, uh, spent more time doing this and learning more about it because I was worried about everything that, you know, the average, the average person is worried about. Where am I going to get my protein? Where am I going to get my calcium? And uh, realized that I was actually going to do better with this diet from a, even from a, a scientific standpoint as far as protein and calcium and essential amino acids and essential fats. And once I realized that, um, the big question was, could you make it taste good? And that was my last, last objection that I was able to overcome. Uh, by getting a couple of cookbooks and, and making some fantastic dishes and learning. You know, it took me six hours to find all the different ingredients I wasn't used to using. But once I was able to 
to do that, I, I realized, hey, yeah, I really don't have an argument against against this, and, and was able to make it stick for myself. And I, I lost a little bit of weight, felt fantastic, and said, hey, this is this is the way to treat patients. And then I spent some time with uh, some doctors that are treating patients this way, and and learned how how to do this from a professional perspective, and in addition to the personal perspective, patients were just you know, we're reversing disease left and right, which was unheard of. You know, diabetes was getting better. Heart disease was, was, their angina was going away. Cholesterol numbers were improving. Weight was coming down. So we opened up a, a practice to treat patients this way because it's what worked. Do you feel, since we, you know, you're kind of the best source to judge that, do you feel that hospitals or the medical system, even from, from the way of studying to become a physician, how much is, has nutrition or holistic health or overall wellness been incorporated at this point? From an outsider point of view, you, I, I do get the impression that it's clear now that food has a tremendous impact. It's just hard to see if that has changed practices or policies within hospitals at this point. We're seeing some small, some small steps. Uh, certain hospitals are taking bigger steps than others, but um, overall, the idea about plant-based nutrition being healthy, um, I think that's that's getting out there bit by bit. Uh, but overall, you know, doctors are not tra trained to do this. Doctors are taught to uh, taught that patients don't listen when you tell them to change their diet, so uh, don't even bother. There's other things to spend your time on. I think that's the wrong message because if patients are given the right information and really, if it's really explained to them how how tight there is a connection between disease and diet, patients would would really heed the advice of the of the physicians. It's just that we're not we're not taught that there's such a tight connection. We think that yeah, it'll have a little impact. Losing a little weight's a great thing. We don't we're not taught that diabetes is caused by diet. Uh, diet, uh, the diet of the, uh, the average American. That's that's what's missing right now. Yeah, we of course this show is entirely based on healthy diet, nutrition, organic food, sustainability, personal and and societal sustainability. Having food and optimum health are recognized as inseparable. Is that as true for children or even more true for children as it is for adults? We had shows on mental health and mood and cancer and blood sugar and all the areas you just mentioned where food has a tremendous impact, if not is perhaps the culprit if it's not done right. How important is that for children or can they tolerate more? I think it's, they can tolerate more. As we, as we, get, as we get older, we, we, we can tolerate less and less because our body's been fighting over the years, um, all the damage we've been doing since we were you know, brought up on the American diet. But uh, it's, it's really important for children. We know heart disease starts when, when you're a child. We know that cancer starts when you're a child. And then the American diet is, is the fertilizer for the cancer cells. And we want to do the opposite. We, we do not want to add more fertilizer and help the cancer cells grow. We want to remove anything that will help them grow and strengthen the parts of our body that will try and remove the cancer cells altogether. What do you, what do you mean by American that? Diet is the yeah. can, you ex can you expand on that? What do you mean by that, that the American diet, the average, also called standard American diet, the SAD diet, uh, is, the, is the fuel for cancer cells or for, for illness and disease? Can you expand on that? What do you mean? Everybody has cancer cells in their body. And our immune system is trying to get rid of them or keep them in check. 
And then there's environmental contaminants and things that promote growth, like insulin-like growth factor. And that is stimulating cancer to, to grow faster and for, for new cancer cells to develop. And what we want to do is decrease anything that, so we want to decrease our insulin-like growth factors. We want to decrease the environmental contaminant, the, the, the burden there, so that our body can then overcome the cancer burden. When, they, when the, you know, those, those bad things I was just talking about are high, our immune system becomes overwhelmed and the cancer grows and grows until it's large enough that we can detect it and we call it cancer. But that starts as one cell and then one turns into two and two turns into four and your body can fight that and slow that process down so that we never actually develop cancer big enough to be diagnosed or it gets big enough and doesn't grow fast enough to kill us. And those are things that can be controlled by diet and lifestyle in many cases. That's a very interesting point of view to say that we don't get cancer. We have cancer in our bodies. We have cancerous cells. And it is about, as it is with our digestive tract and really everything else in, in life, it's about balance, right? If the balance, exactly. if it's out of balance, you develop the disease that we call cancer. <clears throat> if we exactly. can't keep it in balance through a great, um, literally balanced lifestyle, wellness, healthy food, this will never express itself. Is that what you're saying? So I think that's important, and I'm glad you highlighted that. I tell everybody that they have cancer when I see them. There's no question. Everybody has cancer cells growing in their body. The question is, are you going to prevent them from growing too fast or too large? And that's, that can be done significantly with, with diet and lifestyle. Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, in the digestive tract, we all have E. coli, and people think E. coli is the thing that you get when you eat you know, spoiled food. And yet, mm -hmm. we all do have E. coli bacteria. And actually, they are important. They're important in the overall digestive process, but they need to be kept in check in order to not act out and make us sick. Sounds mm -hmm. like that's very similar or identical with cancer cells. Right. And, and balance is key, right? I mean, too much or too little of anything. Of anything. Yeah. Can um, <laughs> not, not say anything, but too, you know, too much or too little of, of many things can be Right, so no sun is is harmful, but too much sun is harmful. No, you know, no water is harmful, but too much water is actually harmful. Same thing with oxygen. I mean, the the idea is that um, we have a, we we get as much as we needed, and the 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 average person I talk to thinks more is better. That's that's their mindset, and it's actually a balance is better, and just you know the adequate amount is better. You don't want you don't want more. You want just what we need. This is an organic conversation. I am Helga Helberg. Our topic in this hour is nutrition for children, starting them off right. And our expert today with us is Dr. Matthew Liederman, also the co-author of Forks Over Knife Family, who he co-wrote with Dr. Alona Puldes, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food Plant-Based Diet. He's joining us today from Los Angeles, California. Let's talk about children particularly. We talked about the total body burden before even they are born. There are several hundred or at least several dozen toxins, uh, a couple hundred toxins and heavy metals and environmental issues measurable in the umbilical cord. And then from there on, as their bodies develop, you said there are more, um, they're, they're 
perhaps more resistant to that or have an easier time to de to defend those environmental toxins or shed them, but they also are developing in their bodies and their brains and they do need a very specific diet. How important is that to recognize that? How forgiving is a little body and what are the kind of key points or key nutrients that those bodies need the most? It's, I mean, when the bodies are growing and developing, it's really important to give them as much good stuff as possible and keep the bad stuff, you know, away as much as possible. You can't, you know, protect your child from all the bad stuff. You know, there's, it, you know, you do the best you can, but, um, what is yeah, the, what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff? Well, the, the good stuff is well, depending on what we're talking about. So from a dietary perspective, it's all the foods and nutrients, you know, the, the vitamins and minerals and the, phytonutrients and the fiber and the, the essential amino acids and making up the proteins. And you want to give them all that good stuff, but do it in a package that's as health, helpful as possible. And the problem with the, um, the American diet is it's a lot of the protein and, and minerals that people talk about, they're in these packages that are super unhealthy, full of cholesterol and saturated fat and higher in environmental contaminants than the plant-based versions, lower in fiber, And then, you know, not to mention, you know, some of the issues, you know, with some of the products, you know, people that uh, consume a lot of dairy, their levels of insulin-like growth factor, which we were talking about before with cancer, are higher. You know, you, you just have to be careful to try and avoid those things. And you have the luxury of doing that in today's day and age where we have access to so many healthy, whole plant foods. Great. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Matthew Liederman, an expert on the topic of health and nutrition and overall wellness who's joining us today from los angeles in this hour of an organic conversation nutrition for children in this case starting them off right can you walk us through the ages for a, a toddler maybe being weaned off let's actually let's let's start before that by the mother's milk what can a mother who's listening to this program should she consider before giving birth or after having given birth? You know, do you have some some general guidelines of what would produce optimal mother's milk, or is that always the healthiest version anyway? The mother's milk is is always better than a formula. I think the science is pretty clear about that. That if you can uh, nurse your child, and um, that's the way to do it. That's it. It changes as the child uh, gets older, and it really, it's, it's really a fantastic match that's very hard to do artificially with formula. But that being said, some people don't have a choice, and they have to make decisions with, with what, what they're dealing with. And so preparing the milk, though, you want the mom to be eating a whole foods, plant-based diet as well. And the longer the mom does that, the better. But there, it's never too late to start. So, um, and the body does an amazing job at trying to remove toxins and, and concentrate nutrition appropriately so that the baby is, is best taken care of. And when you wean a, a child, a toddler, off the mother's milk and introduce solid foods, in your guide, in, in the book that you co-wrote, what are the, the steps or the stages where nutrition changes? What would you know, be appropriate for a two-year-old and what would you then incorporate or do you feature specific recipes? How does that look throughout the early years? It's actually not as, and what we do is uh, we explain this, but it's not as complicated 
yes. as sometimes people will make it. <laughs> so the, the idea is to um, use healthy whole plant foods uh, in a, and do, do that in a format that your baby will tolerate. So even though, you know, lettuce is a healthy whole plant food, that's not something you'll give to an 11-month-old, right? Um, so it's, it's really because, um, you know, they don't have teeth, can't, can't chew. You know, I mean, so it's, it's more of a practical, um, if you're giving them healthy whole foods, then it is this food is, is only for an 11-month-old, and this food you can do at one year. And that's, that's the general rule. There's obviously um, extenuating circumstances for any child, but in, and that's something they should uh, discuss with their pediatrician. But in, in general, you can give a child sweet potato puree with some water, and it's just sweet potatoes and uh, pureed with water. And you know, they can eat a couple spoonfuls of that as you're you know, introducing them to some solid foods. You know, you could do it with certain fruits. You know, I mean, you really, you can play around with it if you're using whole plant foods. That's the beauty of that. Great. We want to talk about organic and, and more aspects of that book. That's the Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food Plant-Based Diet, co-written by Dr. Matthew Liederman, who is joining us today from Los Angeles, forksoverknives.com forward slash FOK family. Um, that's Forks Over Knives Family is the organization. Nutrition for Children, starting them off right. Our focus here in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Matt, stay with us. We'll just take a quick break and we'll write back with so much more. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Nutrition, in this case, nutrition for children, starting them off right. Our main focus in this hour, and we're speaking with an expert in the field of holistic nutrition and overall well-being and health. That's Dr. Matthew Liederman, who's the author of several books, including a new book, Keep It Simple, Keep It Whole, Your Guide to Optimum Health, and he's also the co-author today in his role on the show here, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food Plant-Based Diet. That's Forks Over Knife's Family, which he co-authored with Dr. Alona Puldes. It sounds like and it seems like it's way easier than many people make out, how to switch from a fairly unhealthy or standard diet to a healthier one. Can you describe the guide that you co-wrote, Forks Over Knife's Family? What will people find in it? And why did you find it important to publish that? It's really important that parents are empowered 
um, with the information and support to give their children this type of step forward, this step ahead. I, I wish I had this opportunity, and my parents did the best they could with their with the information they had. But it's easy, it's safe, kids feel great, it's delicious. I think that's the bit parents' biggest concern. They're, everybody's giving their children what they think is healthiest, what they think their children need. And the problem is they don't have all the information. And the doc, their doctors often don't have all the information. People I talk to frequently are actually doctors who, I mean, none of the doctors are taught this, and that's what every doctor says. So if parents are going to their doctors for information, but their doctors were never taught this information, you can imagine the confusion that exists. Sure. And then you have parents afraid to do something healthy for no reason. So, so that to me is, and, and that's why uh, me and Alona wrote this book, was to get this information out, to support parents, to just really push them along and, and any of their doctors along to try and um, support these, these very important healthy changes. And when you say whole foods, what are what are the building blocks? Vegetables, fruits, unadulterated, like no processing. How how important um, is that, and how important is the organic version of that? So it's really important that um, as many of the calories as possible come from whole plant foods. Whole plant foods are fruits, vegetables, legumes, starchy vegetables, whole grains, um, those type of foods. And whether they're processed or not, and it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, sure. Processing can be Cooking. turning uh, you know, a, a beet into beet sugar, mm-hmm. or it could be you know taking some you know a potato and cooking it a little bit. Yes. You know, so it really depends on the level. We we talk about we use the term minimally processed. So you want to process it as least you know the, the least amount necessary, but also realistic, right? I mean, you can you can eat rice for breakfast, and actually one of the dishes that I personally enjoy is I take brown rice and avocado and apples and mix them together, and it's actually really good, you know, and it's just a quick, quick something that I'll make once in a while. But you can also make whole grain pancakes, which are a little bit more processed, and your kids are really going to love them. Uh, but you're using a whole grain flour, you're using whole ingredients, and they're all plant-based, using a, a plant-based milk. So to me, what's most important is you're getting your children, your family, eating whole plant foods. And if that requires some processing, you still want to include whole grains that are um, minimally processed or not for a very small amount of processing. But you can process a little bit more and still have a very healthy diet. And your job is to balance that. So we'll give our, our children whole brown rice, but then they'll also eat uh, you know, a, a bread, a whole grain bread once in a while, too. And particularly with children who are growing fast, having that calorically dense food option is great. So they can they do better with a little bit more whole grain breads than an adult who's trying to lose weight. So I think it's it's important to balance all that, but at the same time, really push those fruits and vegetables and, and those um, healthy whole foods. <laughs> 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And from your perspective, hearing that, this also would apply to really any adult. If most calories come from a mostly plant-based or little processed foods, of course, an adult can eat a sweet potato. Uh, for a toddler, you would puree it or mush it up somehow. But in essence, if the calorie intake, if, if the golden rule is basically most of the calorie intake come from or all of the calorie intake, if possible, comes from plant-based, uh, low-processed foods, hopefully organic, and we, we want to talk about that in a minute, that same principle applies for adults as well, right? Or is there an, an, a difference for children where you would say, yes, in principle it's the same, but this is what you would do for children differently? And I would. The only difference would be calorie density, and we talk about that in the book as well. But uh, adults versus a growing child, sometimes the calorie density is a little bit different. In can, other words, can you explain that? Um, yeah. So calorie density is the amount of calories that are in a, a certain amount of food. So usually it's by pound. So, uh, for example, uh, potatoes could be 400 to 500 calories per pound, whereas uh, a baked potato chip with no oil could be closer to 1,800 calories per pound. Or, or corn is a better, you know, baked corn chip, which is still whole food and there's no added oil. You can do them without salt. We take corn tortillas and uh, just cut them up and bake them in the oven. So you take something like corn that's 500 calories per pound and you turn it into a food that's now 1,800 calories per pound. So you're going to consume, when you eat at higher calorie densities, you're going to consume more calories per pound of food and your sort of satiation signals from your brain are shut off based on stretch. So you can imagine if, you know, let's say that meal your body needs a pound of food before it's going to say it's, it's had enough, you could cause that stretch, that pound of food to come from something with 1,800 calories or that same um, pound can come from something that's 500 calories. And that's how people can potentially put on more weight is if they're eating uh, higher calorie density foods. Now, the nice thing is your body was sort of designed to do really well with whole foods as the base of the diet. So if you're eating corn and vegetables and fruit and you're not doing too much, uh, you know, for example, baking it into a corn chip, you're going to eat pretty low calorie density across the board and you're going to stay trim and eat until you're satisfied without a problem. But adults that are eating breads that are 11, 1200 calories per pound and corn chips that are 1,800 calories per pound can still all come from whole plant foods in the sense that um, whole grain, but it's not whole, meaning whole like a corn from corn on the cob versus now you've sort of dried it out and uh, removed all the water and baked it into a corn chip. Does, does that make sense? Yes. And you were saying for kids, they can tolerate more high-density calorie foods? Particularly growing kids um, and that don't want to sit around and eat and they rather play than eat. Versus right. an adult that loves eating and loves to uh, sit around, you know, isn't, yeah. isn't growing, <laughs> or at least shouldn't, at least shouldn't be. <laughs> yes, great. How important in your practice and throughout? Uh, how much are you emphasizing organic, or is that even a, a, a term? Is it better to say as clean as possible? What, what's your What's your take on that? Yeah. I like, you know, I love organic. I think it's better for the environment. Um, I think it's better to minimize. Uh, environmental contaminants wherever you can. Uh, the problem I have is uh, when people are looking for organic cookies 
and they're looking for, you know, they're eating meat three times a day, but they're telling me it's, it's organic. And, and, you know, organic or not, the environmental contaminants are still building up, you know, with biomagnification in the animal products. It's hard to avoid. And, and organic cookies are still cookies and junk. So for me, what the, the most important thing is to get them eating whole plant foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and, and legumes. Then if they can make them organic, that's even better. And the studies actually support that. There was a really interesting study that said that it's about a 2,000 to 1 ratio. In other words, if you just add fruits and vegetables, but they're conventional, you're going to increase your cancer rate by one. You know, so one more person would get cancer. But for, for every one that got cancer, 2,000 cancer cases were prevented just by adding the fruits and vegetables. So by not eating organic you know, and going conventional, you, you're going to get an additional cancer case. But by adding fruits and vegetables, even if they're conventional, not organic, you're going to prevent 2,000. You just threw in the, the term biomagnification. So biomagnification is just the process of uh, environmental contaminants building up as you eat higher up on the food chain. Eating low on the on the food chain, the lowest possible is always best. And vegetables and fruits in your diet are are more important than not having vegetables and fruit in your diet. If they can be organic, great. But the greatest impact really is a plant based diet that you could have on your overall well being and health and and wellness. Uh, is that a good fair summary? Yeah. I I think the, the key is, and I tell people this, eat whole plant foods, do that as much as you can to the best of your ability, and eat organic whenever possible, but don't compromise on eating whole plant foods. We're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you that number of you know 232 toxins in the umbilical cord of the unborn child. If somebody was concerned about environmental toxins or they live in an area that is not exceptionally clean, as many of us do, uh, how can food help chelating or, or getting rid of environmental toxins um, if your diet can be fairly clean? What's the best foods to eat to address that, to, to lighten the total body burden? Well, the best thing you can do is eat low on the food chain, whole plant foods, organic whenever possible, high in fiber, uh, you know, these low-fiber diets, you know, contaminants get reabsorbed in the, in the intestine. You want to avoid that. And then on top of that, the whole plant food really optimizes the immune system and your body's natural ability to fight toxins. So, you don't, you know, your, your body is equipped and has all of the mm. phytonutrients and, and um, all the tools it needs are primed and functioning in the optimal way that you can fight off and, and function in a world that there's going to be toxins that you're exposed to. That's what we, we've evolved to deal with them. We just um, have a diet that's really impaired and, and put a huge weight on our body's natural ability to do so. Fascinating, wonderful, and wonderful that you have dedicated your life and your career to this topic. It's clearly a passion of yours, and the world is better for it. Thanks for making time in this hour here on An Organic Conversation, Nutrition for Children, starting them off right. What are you focused on right now? Are you going on a book tour or does your practice not let you do that? Yeah, we're doing um, interviews, we're talks, we're supporting the book, we're, and we're uh, working hard with patients. We're, we're doing 
thing at all, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's Dr. Matthew Liederman, the co-author of Forks Over Knives Family, which he co-wrote with Dr. Alona Puldes, Every Parent's Guide to Raising Healthy, Happy Kids on a Whole Food Plant-Based Diet. He joined us today from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much, Matt, for making the time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Great work. Talk soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Amazing work. And once again, it comes down to diet and, of course, healthy plant-based, low on the food chain, fruits and vegetables. If that's your main calorie intake, you are in a good spot. And we're staying with the topic of fruits and vegetables. Not so much of a switch this time, actually. Uh, we're going to learn what is happening on the produce dock this very week, which will translate into your store shelves in just the next few days. What is the hot item or items of the week in terms of ripeness and price? Here is what's in season. And with us now, as every week, it's Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic, if we do have him, if he's mm -hmm. not at one of those organic farms. But I hear, I hear something. Yes. Earl, are you with us? <laughs> okay, I am here. Yeah, I, uh, it's been a little while. It's not always uh, a given, I must say. Yes. <laughs> we, we had your lovely ladies. Um, yeah. The Earl's Girls here at the studio <laughs> um, a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back, and they did a great job. You were inspecting organic farms again, which you love to do yeah. and do so often. But um, wonderful to have you back. And uh, yeah, wow, fall is falling. Oh, my goodness. It's, <laughs> so, you know, it went, it's we'll, so quickly, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. You, know, you get those first couple days, you go, oh, no, is it over? But, you know, we, we still got some time. We'll still have a a nice Indian summer, and years ago I, I moved in September, and I'll never forget <laughs> that September still has some very hot days. Yeah, so. actually it's warmer now than it was six weeks ago, I feel, during the day, but the nights get cooler and the, the light is changing, for, for sure, at 7 o'clock, oh, yeah. here at least yeah. on the West Coast. It's, you better get your, your chairs in and your bike in, this is going <laughs> to be dark. And with this that, also the true. season and the fields and the produce is uh, mm. absolutely changing. What yes. is the item of the week? Well, we know I want to talk apples because even though apples are a year-round item now, this is really, we have several months when they're fresh because apples and technology have merged where we have the technology to store apples in, in great storage facilities. We can have them year-round. But right now, you know, July, August, September, the first ones that are coming off, and apples will still be picked You know, into October, and there's a couple are uh, um, black Arkansas that'll probably be in in October, maybe even November. But I want to talk about some of the earlier varieties right now that you, some you'll see for only a little period of time, and some you're going to see further on past the first of the year when they're coming out of storage. Um, and they're pretty well known. Uh, and I'm going to touch on base on those right now. And let me just ask, so storage usually lasts until May, and then there's a yeah. South American crop coming in or from somewhere else, actually not South America, but even New oh, Zealand yeah. as far. Yeah, South oh, yeah. America, New Zealand. Yeah, generally the three big producers are Chile, Argentina, and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And that's because the, they have the opposite yeah. uh, time of year as us. So their production is in our uh, our Spring is their fall, right? Yeah, so... It really comes on, and we've been enjoying them all winter. And also, there's a lap over with their 
southern, south, south hemisphere fresh with our storage apples. So in, in America, all, all the apples are, are picked by October, November. Yeah. And um, the, really some of the best ones are put in storage because that gives you the best opportunity for them to store. And about January, you start pulling them out of storage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a real, uh, there's huge amounts of information now, and they understand what they're doing. Um, but right now is the time when they're full of enzymes. They have real character of flavor. You can leave them on the tree longer. A good example is the Gold Delicious. It's very pedestrian, some people would say. But um, I've had the privilege to have some um, some trees on properties that I've lived on, and we've left them on the tree, and they take on such incredible other flavors that you would never even think it was a Gold Delicious. So. Spending time on the tree, definitely, when we did that, we lost half the apples from falling and rotting, but the, but every year we got a little bit better at it, and we would uh, time it to pick them just before they would uh, get either get too soft on the tree or start to spoil, and they would just have incredible flavor. So the longer on the tree, the more flavor they're going to have. And that's why some early varieties, of which we really don't carry them because we've kind of culled them out, are not really as good as you know as you might want them to be. Yeah, a great great uh, segue. I bought. I was really excited. I saw apples. I think two weeks ago, maybe three, at the most, uh, at a Whole Foods store. I know you didn't deliver those. They were in a little paper bag with a little handle, very cute, kind of celebrated as the first of the season heirloom variety mix. It didn't really say what it was, but they smelled really nice, and I brought them home, and they were disastrous. I, For the first supposedly fresh domestic apple, they tasted like they had been in storage for six months, and you're saying they weren't. They were indeed fresh, but why did they not hold up? A couple things could have happened there. One for sure, probably, well, for sure, probably, is that early, early apples have got to be eaten right away. You cannot even forget about them for a couple days on your counter, and even the refrigerator, more than a week, because they just they just don't, they aren't items that store well. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all apples do, and that's generally why some of the early varieties and some other ancient varieties, if you will, are not commercially, quote-unquote, commercially grown for that one reason. So as a consumer, um, if you buy, if you, if you get a slice in the store and you really like them, you eat them that day or the next day, that's it. Don't buy 20 of them and think, you know, if you have a week, which usually often apples do store at home for you know, at least a good week, but right now yeah. the early ones don't go for that. Well, you, well there's one a common one called a Macintosh, I mean, semi-common, where that's a good example that we sell that it's a soft variety, meaning that it won't stay crisp for long periods of time. But if you get them in the, in the proper time frame, they have a wonderful flavor, a very crisp white flesh, and it has a great unique flavor. But again, it's so easy to wait too long, and they're very easily bruised. And these are both characteristics, easily bruised and do not store, that are you know, too fully represented by some, again, some early varieties. There's um, a well-known apple called the Gala. That's an early variety, and that's, that keeps relatively well. And um, Do you have a couple a, examples for, uh, what did you call it, uh, soft flesh yeah. varieties? What are the two, well, three, well, four of those, well, and then what are the other ones that do store a little better? Very good. The ones that are considered, quote-unquote, soft would be a Macintosh, a Gold Delicious, 
a John of Gold, even a Gala, even though the Gala is probably the firmest of those. And I'm sure there's other varieties, mm-hmm. but those are the ones that come to mind. There's other varieties that, you know, I used to know, but quite honestly, we, we quit buying them because yeah. they weren't good for uh, commercial use. So if the you see those ones, in the in the store, try a slice, make sure they're yeah. not already too long out on display. If you yeah. do like them, buy two maybe or three and eat them within the next 24 hours. That's the golden rule, right? It, re- it really is. And, yeah. and also, if you're going to store them in the refrigerator, when you bring them out, give them a little bit to warm a little bit mm-hmm. just because, again, they're, if they're too cold, you're not going to get the real nuance sure. and, and the fragrance that you want to. Again, don't leave them out all day because that they'll start breaking down. Gotcha. Um, and then what are course, some varieties on the on the, on the the firmer flesh side? Yeah, well, of course, a, a Braeburn, a Fuji, a Granny Smith. Yeah, those are the... How about those are a couple Pink, ones. Pink Lady, which is kind of my oh, favorite. Oh, yeah, Pink Lady is very nice. Thank you. They're, uh, Honeycrisp can be a little soft, and I was thinking of another variety which I can't really come up with. But some of these are incredible with cheeses, I mean, they just are outstanding. Here's a, and there's a variety grown only in Sebastopol, California, north of San Francisco, called a Gravenstein. Uh-huh. That I think it's pretty much out of season right there. I mean, there may be a couple left around. But that is, a, again, a local uh, apple that tends to be soft. You want to eat it right away. We never buy too, more than what we can sell in a week. Um, but the, um, the orchardist with whom we deal, he goes to the orchard three or four times picking for maturity so really the ones probably in the second or third pick have a little more flavor than the first ones but then the first ones are tend to be a little more crisp mm-hmm. you know like any like many many items that, that that we talk about you gotta pick and choose take samples experiment them with home at home don't forget about them on the counter um even though you can have them all year the next couple months is really the time to be enjoying all these wonderful, wonderful varieties that you may not see. I would really uh, make sure you get a Jonathan if you can. That's a variety that was grown much, much more. It's a great, we, some people are calling it a, a, an heirloom variety now. It tends to be kind of smallish, a little bit squat with the gold and with gold when it's ripened and, and red, red styrations. One thing with apples, that have a predominance of green on them other than a granny is you want to wait till they soften a little bit without that green casting to get a little bit of a yellow, even golden. That's when it really gets ripe for you, uh, especially true nice. for the Jonathan and also the Jonathan Gold, which is a combination, of course, between a Jonathan and a Gold Delicious. That's one of my favorite apples if you can get it, but only buy it if it has a strong golden background to it. And how great. We always say, you know, varieties and know, know your food really. Uh, it, it, in this case, it, you know, I, I, I will return the entire little hand basket there full of apples, which I think bought for $5 or so, seven apples. None of them were good. It will save you money if you know right now which oh. ones are the softer ones, which ones are the yeah. harder ones, and then eat the softer ones right away if you like them. That will, you know, save you a purchase if your store doesn't take them back. So know yeah. your know your stuff right now with apples. No doubt about it. I, I did want to shout out a bit to some other apples that are coming around. They're known as club apples, and you, some of the varieties are pretty well known, and we're going to be carrying a couple of them. I'm going to name some of them right now. One's called an Ambrosia. Another's called a Cosmic Crisp, an Envy, a Jazz, uh, Opal, Pacific Rose, 
a sweet tango, and a pinata, oh also known oh, as. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to forget what it's also known. But those the, all, those are all varieties that have been developed in the last ten, twenty, thirty years. Many of them are very are are called uh, dessert apples, very sweet. Generally, they're a very good size and they're very colorful. And they hold up fairly well. Yeah, they do hold up pretty well, and they're just now uh, starting to see some on the on the scene on the on the on the local uh, produce department. So, Great. more apples around, more developments are going on. Uh, you know, we've gone quite a quite a ways from the '60s and '70s when it was a red and a gold delicious and a Granny Smith. Fun. What's um, the jazz? So fun yeah, to the, see that yeah, new var- <laughs> that new varieties <laughs> are coming back. That's great. So that's actually uh, uh, some of these are, are European. The jazz, by the way, is a New Zealand apple, hmm. and um, it's, it's kind of a uh, snappy, tangy, sweet. And at this point, there's about eight million trees. So that's not really a lot of trees when you think of total production. But it it's, might it's find the way to your store. Prominent. Yeah, great. You know, a couple of last notes. Uh, Washington is the leader of the apple production in the United States, and, and California does not have that many. But being in California, their season starts a little earlier, and some apples are, are, are really, I think, better down here compared to uh, the Washington. And one of them is the Fuji. So the Fuji, the original Fuji, should be coming out right about now. You'll find it to be incredibly sweet. You'll, you'll see those. They're a hearty apple, one of the last apples picked. And it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's a real crowd pleaser. Um, if you haven't had one, which most of you probably have, the Fuji from California, I think, is superior to any other uh, uh, Fuji from any other uh, geographical area. So wow, nice. there's a little push on the Fuji for you. Fine. Good. Apples. <laughs> Try them in the store. No, ideally, if it's soft or harder flesh yeah. and then eat accordingly there you go wonderful uh, what will the item be next week as we are in fall moving forward well you know we're right in there with pears you know apples and pears kind of come hand in hand so even though you, know, you can't you can't really compare them <laughs> well nah, nah. not really but that's what we're going to chat about next week okay great can't wait thank you so much earl you're welcome we'll, we'll talk thank then you. take care yep <laughs> bye And that sums up another hour of an organic conversation all about healthy eating and healthy food and, of course, organic fruits and vegetables at the end. That was Earl Herrick, What's in Season. We'll be back. What's in Season next week is an organic conversation with a new episode. I'm Helge Helberg. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. 
family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation. And our Twitter handle is Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here. Same place, same time next week. See you then.